this is a true saying, and this is the only time that verse shows up in this passage. Remember we looked at the four faithful sayings and we ran that? Well, this verse, this chapter is starting off after obviously chapter number 2. And we finished out this idea concerning women and not usurping authority, and being silent, and not preaching. And then it starts off with, this is a true st- saying. Uh, in other words, let's pay attention to this truth because it says, if a man... In other words, we just came off some things that were specific to women and their role or not their role, and now we see an office of the church, and it's a male office. The Bible never has bishop nesses, despite what you might hear or, <laughs> or see. There's bishops. There's not bishop nesses. It doesn't really matter what the Episcopalian church is ushering in or ordaining. It doesn't matter what the Lutheran church is ushering in or ordaining. There's bishops. It's a male office. That disqualifies Paula White. That disqualifies Victoria Osteen. That disqualifies Joyce Myers. None of them are being faithful to this true saying. It's an office of a male of a man. And that does need to be said. It's old hat maybe to us because we believe the Bible, but it's not as it's not a commonly held belief like you would think that it should be. Um, it says desire the office of a bishop. Uh, he desireth a good work. Um That phrase is the only time it shows up in the Bible. And this desiring of this leadership, this desiring of this good work, God, it's commendable. But it's not like... In chapter 2, we saw that there's a distinction in roles for men and women, right? We went through that last week. But God doesn't stop there because when He starts chapter number 3, and we're going to see this tonight all through the chapter, He is also distinguishing out not just women from men, but He's also distinguishing out a certain type of man. It's not just all men. There's some qualifications that have to be met for the office. So even though it's an office for a man, it's not just any old man. God has some expectations and He has some requirements for leadership. We should take heed to them. He's reminding the church that there should be, there's a principle of strict watchfulness and we can't get away from that. And we don't, you know, read through the Bible many a times. I'm sure you have as well. Gone through this chapter many a times. I don't see a specific mode of the office. Now hear me out on this. It's definitely, we definitely know that the bishop is an overseer. We definitely know that the bishop is a spiritual inspector. But have you ever gone to a Baptist church and say, hey, who's your bishop? Now a lot of people say it's the pastor. I understand that. I'm not so sure it's the pastor though. 
It seems to me it's an office. It's an office. Pastor comes from the term pasture. It's taking sheep down to pasture. They're guiding, they're directing, they're teaching. This bishop seems to be more of an ordained elder. They're in charge specifically as an overseer. It's an office in the local church. It seems it may go in the direction of it's an overseer of the overseers. You might have some elders, plural. Then you've got some bishops maybe taking oversight over them. Um, go to Philippians chapter number 1. I'm going to tell you why I think that it's an office that's not the pastor. And you tell me if you think it's uh, something you agree with or, or not. That's fine. But I'd like you to look at this perspective. Philippians chapter number 1. How many pastors are there of a local church? Should be one pastor, right? One pastor of a local church. You might have an assistant pastor. You might have, uh, if you have a, uh, a large um, teen or youth program, some churches call them youth pastors. Some say, okay, you have an assistant pastor. Okay? But typically, you've got one pastor. Now, you may have some men that are gifted and, and um, uh, qualified and they're sent out and then they go and pastor a church. But you have, one, you have one pastor of a local church. Now, look at Philippians chapter number 1. I'm going to tell you why, one reason why I don't think that the bishop is the pastor. Verse number 1 says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Now you have a single location, Philippi, right? You see that in Philippians 1.1? One location, Philippi. Now watch what it says. With the bishops and the deacons. So you've always ha you always have one local church, one location, and in that location, throughout the New Testament, you see that there's one pastor at that location. But what do you see a plurality of? Bishops, deacons. When you have a church that just has a pastor, which is what we have, we haven't ordained any bishops or deacons or elders. All plural letters. All plural words. Here's one of the problems. One of the problems is the work can never grow past what one man can do. The pastor can't do everything. He's not supposed to do everything. You see that in Acts 6, right? He has to have time in the Word. He must be able to labor in the Word. So what should a local church do? The pastor and those folks should start training up leaders and looking for men who meet the qualifications of those offices. Now, guess what can happen? That work can grow beyond just what one pastor can do. Now that should be our prayer. 
Now, if you go into a work that's a decade or two decades or three decades or four, some are even five. They've got multiple deacons. They've got multiple elders. You want to guess that there's a lot of ministries that are that wheel's working. Why? There's a plurality of leaders that are able to help, lead, guide, and direct. Um, I'll circle back to that thought. But the other thing that the Philippian church didn't receive was a rebuke. You know why the, one of the reasons why the Philippian church never received rebukes? Because they had a really good thing going on. They had a plurality of leadership. So what is that what should that principle tell me and tell you? More leadership is better than one leader. Okay? The pastor can only do so much. The Philippian church thrived because it had a plurality of leadership. That's a good thing. And we should strive for that. Why don't I personally think that the bishop can't be the pastor? Because of the plurality. You only got one pastor of a church. You can have many bishops, many deacons, many elders. Pastor is a supernatural calling with a supernatural enabling like all of the gifts. He's called to preach. He's called to lead and shepherd the people. And he must have a life that evidences faithfulness in all areas as an exempt as an exemplary character in faithfulness okay that has to be there by the way all of the gifts have a supernatural calling what's your gift not what's your talent Not what's your skill that apart from being saved you would have. I'm talking about what's your spiritual gift or gifts. Um, I'll come back to that idea of um, pastor versus bishop in a minute. But when you uh, go, go back to First Timothy chapter number 3. This first verse, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good thing. Um, the Roman Catholic Church has almost taken almost a Darwinian evolutionary approach to their leadership. Because you can go from a bishop, or you can go from a, uh, from a, a priest. Now you see that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, priests. Then they can go to bishop, or then they can go to... Um, yeah, then they can go to bishop. Now, you see, we're, we're seeing the word bishops in the Bible. But then from there, you can go to archbishop. They're taking title. That's the bishop who is over the bishops. They're taking titles that 
the Bible doesn't even have who's the shepherd and bishop of our soul? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our bishop of our soul. They take something higher even than a bishop. Say, well, we're going to make you an archbishop. And then you can move up the, the ladder of cardinal and then you can move up that ladder from cardinal to pope. And none of that's scriptural. So hear me out on this. I don't see, listen to this first comment I'm going to make. I don't see in our culture a lot of Christian people respecting preachers who labor in the Word as much as they did in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. I just don't see it. I don't. And I think it's wrong how people treat pastors, good pastors, good men of God. It's not there. It isn't. You got to be some super cool, fun guy in order to get whatever. So there's that side. But folks, there is also the side that we need to be careful of that we don't take a Roman Catholic approach that says one is above another, above another, above another, above another. As if the gift of pastoring and teaching should be exalted higher than any of the other gifts. I think we got ditches on both sides, quite honestly. And I think a lot of people think the pastor can't do no wrong. Whatever the pastor says, he's, he's the... Well, we say the Bible's the final authority, but really we, we think the pastor is. You see the danger in both of those? There's a lot of disrespect that goes on, but then there's also a lot of weird cult-like loyalty that shouldn't be there. Is loyalty in our day about gone? It is. We talked about that. But the gift that you have in the body of Christ, it is just important as the gift that I have. My gift requires me to take some oversight and, and all of that and guide. My gift requires that. That doesn't mean that... I, we, look, we have the priesthood of all believers... That doesn't mean that I am somehow some cape-wearing super-Christian. It means I'm just like you. I just have a different gift that happens to be more vocal. But it doesn't mean I'm any better or more spiritual than you. We're all sheep. It's not like you become a pastor and you're not a sheep anymore. You move up like the Roman Catholic level. It's, it's all false. I'm a sheep just like y'all are sheep. It's, and there's two ditches we need to be careful of. Go to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. First Peter two, 
Let's read. All right, let's read some verses. Verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to kings as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. That's all of us serving God. Honor all men. Can you do that? <laughs> it's a tough verse. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only the good and gentle, but also the froward. But this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering, wrong fully. For what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. We can all say amen to that until when we're going through that and you're being buffeted. Um, it's different. These verses have different meaning when you're going through stuff. Verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, ye should follow His steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth, who when he was revived, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray. That's all of us. It's not just you and then, well, I'm the pastor. I'm not, no. It's all of us as sheep have gone astray, but now are returned, watch this, under the shepherd and bishops and bishop, singular, of your souls. Amen. And you have a singular bishop which is distinguished and set apart from a plurality of bishops that would, be a, that would be leadership over a local congregation. And I'm telling you, my heart attitude, our heart attitude should be the same. We are always trying to redirect people back to the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. Everything, what you do, what you say, what you teach, how you live, if it's not pushing people towards the bishop of our souls, we have, a, we have strayed. We've gone astray somewhere. And we need to get those cones out to get traffic going back into that right lane, that correct lane. Christ died for all our souls. And He calls all of us to have the same care, the same patience, the same kindness for all of His sheep. And I mention this because nobody is above 
God. All right, let's go back to 1 Timothy 3 and we'll look at some of these qualifications. All right, 1 Timothy 3. A bishop then must be blameless. Now, if you're going to have a bishop, God's going to list all these qualifications. Do you think it's a multiple choice? You just pick the ones that you like? Or do you think that God means you must be and then everything in the list, you must meet all of the qualifications? Put your hand up if you think you should meet all of them, right? We believe the Bible. Okay, all of them, right. Blameless, what's that mean? It means not sinless. No. Because <laughs> we all sin. Well, we're going to get a, we're looking for a bishop. He's blameless. He's going to be not sinless. No, we're all sinners. Is the blame always going to fall on the guy? You've got to present yourself with some character of blamelessness. Um, does he live a life that is without fault? Should recognize a guy. No, that guy is not the blame. That guy's character. No, he, he, he would not be. That's something that he would not be blamed for. He's got blameless as a character trait of who that man is. These people think blameless means sinless. Just I don't know where they get that from, but it's not an accurate description. Now it, it says blameless. Then it says the husband of one. Wife at a time. Oh, wait, it doesn't say one wife at a time. Except a lot of Baptists read that one wife at a time because they've had more than one wife. You can't divorce your wife and then get remarried and say, well, I still meet the qualification because I am the husband of one wife at a time. The Bible doesn't say one wife at a time, it says the husband of one wife. And I'm, I know people fight and bicker over this, but I, I mean, I'm trying to say what the Bible says. It says one wife. Let me ask you a if we, if we raise a young man up, and he has the call of God on his life, and it's evidence to the congregation that he's called to preach. And he's not married. I think he can pastor. I don't think he's qualified to be a bishop or an elder or a deacon. But if he has that gift and a church needs a pastor and if he's 29 or 30, it's probably a good idea for him to take a church that's got a plurality of elders and a plurality of bishops and a plurality of deacons. Why? So that that young man who is gifted by God and has that gift of pastoring and teaching has some accountability. Do you see why a plurality of leadership is key? The pastor needs some help. The pastor needs some encouragement. The pastor needs some accountability. 
It's a good thing. So God set up elders and deacons and bishops, and he says, you know what? I want you to be the husband of one wife. Go to 1 Timothy. Go to chapter 4. Let's settle some more Roman Catholic foolishness. Watch what it says here in Romans, or Romans, 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit, verse 1, speaketh expressly, that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And God's going to tell you what those doctrines of devils are. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That's verse 2. Now look at verse 3. Here's another doctrine of devils. Forbidding to marry. You know who does that? The Roman Catholic Church. When you want to become a priest or you want to move up as a bishop, that whole thing is set up under a doctrine of devils for those men to abstain from marrying. Yet God says if you really want to be a bishop, you want to be an elder, you want to be a leader in the church, you know what God says? You need to be married. Because that, that helps. You have some experience. You have an example to show everyone what a biblical marriage looks like. And it says he should be vigilant. means he's watchful. He's attentive to discover danger. He helps the church avoid problems and he provides a level of safety. That's a vigilant man. Now, I want to train up some leaders who meet some qualifications for our local church. We can't just say, well, vigilant, that's really not that important. It is. They're all there and God says, must be. We all agree when He says it must be born again. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. So when He gives these must be lists, starting in verse 2, a bishop then must be, We've got to have them all. It says sober. Well, great. He doesn't just he doesn't drink alcohol. Great. Is his mind sober? Does he have control of himself or is he just drunk with pride? Is he drunk with control? That's not a sober man. He's not fit for that office. He's got to exercise some self-restraint. He's got to have a life bathed in prayer. He's got to have a servant attitude. He's got to have a sober mind to do that. Because our adversary is coming after the church. Good behavior. Sober, then it says of good behavior. He treats others reasonably. He's a man of good behavior. Then it says, given to hospitality. And it's more than just a friendly welcome. You need to hear people say, man, that church is very hospitable. Ladies, you probably have that character trait. Be hospitable when come, someone comes into your home. There, there is that part of it. But there's another part of it that is just as important. The root word for hospitality is hospital. 
Being hospitable is you're ready to help those that are in need, like a hospital would. We should have that cultured in our, in our church, given to hospitality. We are able to care for those in need. Then it says apt to teach. Is he ready to teach? Is he suitable to teach? Is, does he have the ability to teach? He's got to be a student of the Word in order to meet that qualification. Apt to teach. He doesn't have to have the same style as the pastor. He doesn't have to have the same uh, delivery, uh, the same, none of that. But he has to be apt. Apt to teach, then it says, uh, not given to wine, and then no striker. You don't want a guy that goes on strike. He makes, he forces everybody. He has a goal to make everybody come in line with him. And when those goals and expectations aren't met, he says, well, that's it. I'm just going on strike. If you're going to have somebody be a leader of the church when, the, when, the, when, when it gets rough going, he can't go on strike. Hey, where's that guy? He's striking with the teacher's union. <laughs> you, where'd he go? I'll tell you where he went. He went on strike. <laughs> Why? Because things got tough. And if you're going to have a local church grow beyond one man, the pastor blowing his heart out trying to do everything, you're going to have to have some leaders, plural, with an S, a capital S at the end. You're going to have to have some leaders who just don't go on strike when things get rough. Preacher, you handle that. Oh, wait, I thought you were... Nah, see ya. You can't have that. You can't have it. God just refuses to work. I'm going to go on strike. And it says, not greedy of filthy lucre. Is he doing it for money? Does everything in his life revolve around getting more money? You can't have a guy in leadership like that. Filthy is dirty. It's foul. It's polluted. It's defiled. Lucre doesn't refer to just money. It's gaining money in an ill sense. It's how you profit from the money. Is the money gained by dishonest means? God calls that filthy lucre and He doesn't want a man in leadership who is greedy of filthy lucre. Now this is a hefty list. Then it says, patient. Patient. First Thessalonians talks about being patient toward all men. you got to have a man that can just chill out, be content, under pressure, under offenses, and he has to be able to do it. Can I get a witness? Without a revengeful heart. It's a high calling. A patient person is a person that is calmly diligent. Calmly diligent. And it says not a brawler. This is the guy who just likes the excitement of stirring up some discord and having a fight. Man, if they can do anything, they just want to stir up the pot and they just want they live for the fight, man. They just want to blow the whole thing up and that's the brawler. You can't have a man like that. Have you been around people like that? And there's always that one guy 
I have a friend like this. He seems to be the one guy that you can put him in the situation and he can take it from 150 degrees hot and have that thing dialed down in about 25 minutes and he brings that guy right down. That's what we're talking about. A guy that can do that. He's not looking to brawl. He's not looking to fight. He's not looking to mix it up. He's looking to dial that temperature gauge down. Let's bring it down. And I'm telling you, that is just as important of a qualification as it is for a man being qualified by having one wife. All of these qualifications are important. It's not one is more important than the other. All of them need to be there for church leaders, bishops, deacons, elders. One that ruleth his own house, or not covetous. Bible warns of covetousness. Jesus said, beware of covetousness. The law said, thou shalt not covet. And it says, one that ruleth well his own house. Is his house ruled with love? Or is it ruled by destruction? Because if it's ruled by destruction, what do you think he's going to do to a local church? One that ruleth well his own house. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. Uh, that doesn't mean his home is like a graveyard. Everyone's sitting down like they're just like dead, like nothing's going on. No, it's is he is he down to earth? Somebody that doesn't have some gravity just flies off the handle. They just spaz out. And you would say, well, you know what? That guy's really not down to earth. That's where that phrase comes from. Hey. We need somebody that's down to earth. He's got some gravity to him. Verse 5, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? He won't. He won't. Let's wrap up here, verse 6. Not a novice, that's somebody new. Got to have somebody with some road time. Obviously, if he's married, he's got some road time. Obviously, if he has children, he has some road time. He's not a novice. And all of this has to do with having some road time. Not a novice. Why? Lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Pride seemed to be the root cause of all the sins. That's what caused Lucifer to fall. You think about a novice, you think about any athletic endeavor, it's always the new guy on the team that everybody's concerned about. Man, you know, his attitude is just... The coach sees it. He's got an attitude about himself. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want pride. will fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. That's verse 7. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Of them that are without. You know, it matters what the world thinks of you. Well, I'm a Christian, so it shouldn't matter. But it, it, no, it does. Those that are without, 
It matters what they think of you. And that speaks of the integrity of your character, of my character, of our character as a local church. He finishes it out with, what is your reputation like with those who aren't Christians and don't go to church? You know how God wants it to be for a leader? Exemplary. Those that are without, see there's something different about that guy. 